0: Thanks. Yeah, this is a talk about cities and sustainability. And uh, my name is Lars Zimmerman. I'm an artist enjoying to work as an economist and an activist. And my chosen field of work is uh, sustainability. Is there beauty in trying to keep the planet as we it f- thousands of years ago in keeping the biosphere rich and beautiful? Is there beauty in uh, trying to keep the climate and the change of it as steady and slow instead of abrupt changes that throw us quickly into new realities? Is there beauty in uh, dealing sustainable with uh, resources so we don't run out very quickly and then engage in warfare to find out who owns the rest. And um, so far, the answer is... And the question is, is there truth in this? And so far, the answer is... No. I mean, if you look uh, what happened in the past years, we learned uh, over 50 years ago from Rachel Carson in her book, uh, Silent Spring, that modern agriculture kills wildlife and birds and insects. And last year we learned that we lost 76% of our insects in the past 25 years. 1972, almost 50 years ago, we learned from the Club of Rome with their very influential book, uh, The Limits to Growth, that our planet might have boundaries and still if you look at all the graphs that show us uh, how we use resources they all have curves that go straight up as if there's no uh, infinity and yesterday yesterday was actually the earth overshoot day so the day where we consumed all the resources we have on earth for humanity uh, if we want to run the planet in a sustainable way counting from today on we overuse the planet and uh, Or another thing is, uh, in 1969, Apollo 11 landed on the moon and sent beautiful pictures from Earth, and one billion people across the planet watched these pictures and saw that the planet is really fragile and limited. And in the years after that, thousands of environmental NGOs were founded across the globe, trying to save the planet. And today. We have more people working in PR and public relations than in journalism. And uh, when you go to Brussels, there are 30 lobbyists for one parliament member. And most of these lobbyists come from large companies that have a different agenda about sustainability. And we have major and powerful politicians that are climate change deniers. So. Sustainability is really shrinking. Is there no hope? I mean, sometimes you see a sustainable product or maybe a law that goes towards uh, sustainability, but the answer is, um, for each new sustainable development or thing, there are lots and lots and lots of other things that aren't sustainable entering the market at the same time. So we look here at the, diver- of the of, uh, diversification of the market, you know? The sustainability segment grows, but the rest of the market grows much more. So. There is no really change, it's just uh, um, diversification. So, uh, why is that? What do you think? Why is that? I mean, there are a lot of, you know, all of this, all of this, of course. Uh, there are a lot of answers. One is, for example, that uh, it's just human nature. We prefer to have things now rather than later. But one answer I really like is that it's uh, also the structures we are thrown in, we are living in, that force us to. Um, to to reproduce this kind of behaviour. And a great way to uh, explain this for me is the lock-in effect. In economic literature, the lock-in effect describes when a customer is locked into the office of a certain vendor, so he has to buy the products or services from that certain vendor. For example, if you have an iPhone, it's impossible to make Android apps run on your iPhone. But if you broaden the scope a little bit, it also means that the world we live in basically shapes what we experience every day and what we are therefore able to think and to plan. And we live in a not sustainable world. One example is if we, um, we need to teach our children not to jump on the middle of the street because there are cars. A kid that doesn't know this will not survive, you all learned this. But with the same lesson, the kid also learns that the best part of the street is not for the kid or for us, it's for cars. And it learns that our society values cars very, very much. And when the kid is grown up and has to solve a problem that might involve mobility, it's totally clear that it will think of a car as part of the solution. Or another example, I go sometimes to universities and try to teach students how to design open source circular products. And they really love this. They're motivated and they feel empowered. But, you know, I get to talk to them once. But they're surrounded in their everyday life by thousands of products that are all closed source and that are all linear. And, of course, they also learn from these products. And the voices of these products are much louder than mine. So it's way more likely that when they design their own products, they will be closed source, patented, and uh, linear. Or maybe a, a last example... From the top of your head, tell me a way how to get the shampoo for your hair without getting it in a plastic throwaway bottle. Hard, right? And um, some of you might have an answer, but I guess the majority doesn't. doesn't. Or now in, uh, imagine you invented a shampoo and you want to spread it through the market. Uh, what's the thing you think about? Of course, you also will probably think about a little plastic throwaway bottle. See this is the lock-in effect. It's really hard to even think beyond, it's even hard to see even a sustainable world. Uh, so, the question is uh, how to get out of this prison for our imagination when the built environment prevents us from thinking and inventing sustainability. I mean, there are two ways. First thing you could say, let's smash everything down, all our cities, and then rebuild it from scratch, which is of course absurd and not an answer. It would be an ecological, economical disaster. and. And more importantly, we we still then are locked in because we still have this old world in our mind. And I think the really interesting answer to this is hacking. I mean, you all know hacking Hacking our cities. Um, What is hacking? Hacking basically means that you deal with systems that are already there. So, hacking is not about building something new. You will never have probably never heard of a hacker that built a car from scratch. No, but you heard maybe a story of a hacker who hacked an existing car and turned it into something else. So, here are some definitions of hacking I really like. It's to break a system's limitation. Work with an existing system and then turn it break the limits, and turn it into something else. And this is what we need to do with our cities and our build world, break the limitations of these linear systems. And here's another really beautiful um, definition from uh, our Holland. A hacker is someone who tries to find a way how to use a coffee machine to make toast. So, this is what we need to do with our world. It's basically really re repurpose. Don't build something new, repurpose. And why is it important that we hack our cities? Because cities are humanity's future. Uh, a study that pops up in my, um, on my screen again and again is predicting, it says that today there are living uh, on this planet 3.5 billion people in cities. And the study and many other studies say that in 2050 it will be 7 billion. This means that of all the cities that will be there in 30 years will be built in the next 30 years. Who will build these cities? How will they look? Will they be the same as the cities we live in today? Probably, because all the people who build these cities, where will they learn? Where will they get their inspiration? Where do they live right now? They live in cities. And of course, they will probably reproduce most of the things they experience right now every day. So that's the reason we should focus on cities. And next to this, uh, building cities is super expensive, costs a lot of resources, energy, and so on. So i can this is basically the key point here. We have to work with what is already there. This is where our creativity needs to go. not building new things, but um, deal with what we already got and Sometimes I talk to students and then they uh, if they it's very rarely that they manage to leave this, the actual paradigm and enter the new paradigm and then they design things for a sustainable city, but it doesn't make sense because maybe in 10 years they can set it up somewhere, but no one will see this, or a few people will see this. And the other these 7 billion people's cities will be built by other people who have seen the cities that are there. So. Um, this then really the question, can we deal with the existing things and turn it to little twists and um, around into something sustainable? Can we use the unsustainable linear city like sustainable future-fit circular city? And this is what we do with uh, this project I'm here to present. And the project is a city hacking project and it's called the city's open source. And there we investigate and, and invent and collect a lot of hacks small interventions to turn the city into, or make it possible to experience the circular sustainable city, so to unlock our minds for this. And uh, this uh, project is born out of, uh, basically, street art. I didn't invent the term city hacking. I learned it from street artists like um, Brett Downey or Florian Riviere, who used to describe their practices of making little interventions in the city and turn it into some kind of playgrounds, mostly, uh, or use it for political activism. And I thought, hey, that's an interesting technique. Can we use it to really invent and make it possible to experience a sustainable city? And so we started this um, Project and you uh, go to the website there. You can find a lot of images and uh, of hacks and ideas We invented in the past uh, Three years and I will present you a short uh, uh, list with uh, some examples I handpicked and today I didn't uh, brought you too many of these funny little images and examples. I focus more on uh, concepts um, And broader ideas and I have seven headlines and the first one is uh, nature and food And here's the first lesson how to do city hacking. Ask yourself, what if the city was a, for example, playground or a garden and farm. And then you imagine a story like you are a farmer and you are thrown into a city but you want to do your regular business, how would you transform the city environment to do your farming work? This really helps you creatively to invent then city hacks. And with garden and farming, growing food in the city, we had a lot of progress in the past 10, 15, 20 years. The urban gardening movement is still on the rise and produced a lot of interesting uh, examples and contests and a lot of tutorials, so we are ready to go and start to really use the city as a place where we can grow food almost everywhere. Uh, One one idea, for example, is there are architects that invented the term farm scraper, so the idea is that we have huge buildings in the city where we grow food. So, build a new building, which is a farm scraper. But it doesn't make sense, because it's the old paradigm, building something entirely new. How about with little uh, interventions, hack existing buildings and turn them into farm scrapers? Cars are, of course, a huge problem, because they consume most or so much of the beautiful space in the city, and they pollute our air, and let's imagine we would have less cars, then we would have more space to grow actually food. But right now we have to deal with what is there, and this is an idea for uh, creating a vehicle that uh, fulfills the minimal requirements to use a parking space, but then have a uh, greenhouse um, on the cars. So just use a parking space uh, as a greenhouse without uh, asking a lot for permission. Another thing you could ask yourself, what if the city was a botanical garden or nature protection zone, you know? There's less cars uh, and uh, cleaner air. than uh, we could really focus on wildlife in city. And how about turning your street, like in a botanical garden, set up these little signs explaining what plants are there, raising the awareness of people that is actually beautiful nature around us that is worth to interact with and protect. Or here's an idea: you know, when you enter a nature protection zone, there are these huge shields explaining you where you are and then tell you what is forbidden and so on. Set up signs like these. In our streets, saying this is a warm protection area or a water protection zone really raise awareness, make people see that they are part of an ecosystem which is fragile, which they can protect, and which can be much healthier if they take care of it. Another thing what if the city was a playground or gym? So, this is really easy for you to do at home. This is a, a lesson I start with because. People can do that. We all have been on a playground and we all have been in a gym. So it's really easy to to, to use the city as a gym. Um, not so easy to use it as a sustainable circular city. But still the playground makes sense in the context of a circular city because um, if we have less cars, then we have much more space to set up things like this. I found this in Fiersen, in a beautiful city in Germany. It's just this hole in the center of the city. And all the citizens they play with it. You know, I have seen 60-year-old women on a bike, wee going through this hole, and everyone has fun. You know, it really increases uh, maybe the, the body health and uh, the social interaction. And if you have a lot of social life in a city, this is also good for a smarter use of resources. Here's a little intervention we did, but didn't take photos, we just hang uh, tennis bats from, from trees and ceilings and people started to play tennis in the street and so on. There is a lot of stuff like this online, but it's worth to think about if we have less cars, we have more space for things like this and we can have more public life. So less cars and less pollution, but more space, playgrounds, food, nature and social life. Imagine what kind of cost effect this was have. this would have how it would improve our physical and mental health and also make us uh, use resources much smarter. Um, Mobility. I mean, I already started to rant against cars. Cars are really a problem, and if they would be gone, they would be much more possible in the city. Here's just a little intervention. Add a little sign under a parking spot. (laughs) Leave only 30 minutes for cars to park there or claim that it's not a parking place, it's a picnic spot, for example or uh, just place seats there instead of a car. There's a whole beautiful movement called Parking Day. They do this for several years now. Uh, Every year there's one day where in a lot of cities people occupy parking spaces and put parks there or other things showing us what we can do with all this great place there in the city most of you have never seen because when you're born, this was already occupied by cars. Um, Cars, as I said, are an easy intellectual target today because most of us living in cities don't need a car anymore, and I really have hope that there might be something uh, changing. Another thing we can use, instead of building new streets, we can use the existing streets, put a little science on this and transform it into uh, bike lanes or cargo bike lanes and so on. Um, And really reduce then the need for mobility is another thing. Again, urban gardening, if we grow more food in the city, we don't need uh, all these trucks coming to the city bringing us food, for example. Or uh, this is something I saw in Bremen. It's really great. I mean, it's a, it's a mailbox in a tram. This is so cool, you know, usually you have the mailboxes spread all over the city, people throw in their mail and then you have to have a truck going around the city collecting all the stuff uh, and bringing it to some place. But the trams this already moving through the city, so you don't need all these mailboxes because the mailboxes visit all the places and in the evening all the trams go to the depot and all the mail is already there. So this is really a smart use of an existing infrastructure. And you can increase this, for example, in Germany. I used to live in Mitte and in my street there was every day and every hour several of these trucks delivering Amazon packages and so on, you know. Let's say you have these little post boxes in the subway stations and then you deliver the mail with the subway and then you go to the subway anyway and pick up your stuff. Maybe it's even an incentive to use more public transport. Then also set up uh, billboards that advertise repairing things instead of buying new things, you know. It's very quickly done. And it would uh, uh lower our need for new things in the city. Um I I forgot to start my timer. How much time do I have left? Uh ten? Ten minutes? Okay, then I might to jump sadly need to jump uh skip some things. Um uh But on the website, it's all on the website. Go on the website and learn about these things. Maybe one interesting thing is uh, about modularity that uh, people, of course, understand that modular design is something really important for uh, a sustainable uh, future because it enables reuse. And then designers start to invent new modular systems and think this is great, but this isn't great because it doesn't help because then you have new designs that only connect to themselves and maybe there are 10 or 15 pieces out of it uh, in the world. It's smarter to use existing modular system and hack into them and improve what you can do with them, invent more use cases for them. This is an example I really love, uh, the guys are called Bottle Lab, and they th- uh, 3D print a connector that enables you to connect standard bottles and build some kind of furniture for an event like seatings and tables. And this is so cool because for these bottles there's already a circular deposit system in place and they hack it into the system and improve what you can do with it by tr- uh, creating furniture for an event and when the event is done you can just put everything back and give it back into the deposit system no waste left you know this is really brilliant and um, we uh, we uh, I investigated this and learned that it's even easier you don't have to 3d print the connectors you can just drill into the cups uh, caps and then use a little screw to connect it and then create these connectors with um, with screws and here's a pedestal we built with three screws and nine bottles, and we will use these uh, pedestals as an event infrastructure for our this year's... huh Open Source Circular Economy Days, which is a great event we run here in Berlin for several years. It's basically an event where we try to invent through hacking and sharing uh, the circular future. And as you can see here in the image, this is really a hands-on uh, event. And I want to invite you to come there, maybe present something, or just join us and find out how we can design a circular future. It happens in Berlin in Ju- between June 14 and 16. But there's also a whole global movement where people do this in their cities across the globe. I need to skip a little bit more. Apocalypse is a really interesting thing. Uh, For this one, what if the city was after apocalypse? Then you start to think, okay, if everything would be broken down, what's still useful for my work? What can I use to survive? And there's a really beautiful talk I would uh, recommend you to watch from Frank Rieber and Rob Gongriub. It's called Transition Telecom. It's from 2011. And there they ask, how can a hacker prepare for doomsday? And they come up with a long list of interesting strategies like uh, printing out and keeping a lot of documentation about stuff, buying uh, gear instead of toys and it's a really long list. I really recommend to go to media.cc.de and watch this talk. Surveillance is really why we're in that area and really interesting and important point because um, how does it connect to, uh, to change towards sustainability? It's very easy because surveillance usually or basically uh, uh, cementizes what is there. So it really enforces existing power structures. And the existing power structures are linear and unsustainable. This might be hard to understand, but just imagine you want to set up a little urban gardening experiment, maybe an activistic project. Would you still do it if there are four cameras surveilling the street? No, you wouldn't. Without these cameras, you have more freedom to do this experiments that we really need to invent this uh, circular sustainable future. There are a lot of things you can do to try to hack or fight surveillance. There are legal, through legal means, maybe through activistic means, or through little funny uh, urban interventions that block or stop um, cameras. There's something on our page, please visit this. Uh, one last bit: uh, futuring is also the question is who. As you have seen, there are different ways to describe the future. I presented you here a a vision for the future where we hack our cities. But there are a lot of other narratives for our futures. And you can really see who owns or who is in the mainstream media present. Who tries to shape our future? Who tries to shape what we think about our future and what we expect as our future? Who's pushing what agenda? This is really a fragile field. And for me, it's really, it's still a mystery how how we can get someone like Elon Musk to be our mainstream priest for what our future will be i mean that guy shoots a car into space and it's really I find this so strange, and it's still on my to-do list, it reminds me of this, all these memes about um, Chuck Norris, you know, Chuck Norris, when he goes into the Pacific, he doesn't get wet, the Pacific gets Chuck Norris, and all these kinds of things, you know, and I think this could be easily done with Elon Musk in the future, my plan is to go and ask 4 to help me some of these memes, really showing how absurd many of these future claims uh, are there around Elon Musk. <clears throat> Sorry, uh, and another thing. Also, Google has a project which is pretty similar to our the city's open source project. It's a project about the future city and inventing it. But because it's run by Google, of course, there's a data model behind it. They basically want to invent and build a city that works perfectly with the uh, technology and uh, agenda of Google. And I mean, this really then also some kind of surveilled city and I mean I'm really happy if you look into the smart city discourse there's also a lot of critic in this right now showing that there's a lot of problematic ways to approach the smart city and I think this might be one so really think about whose agenda uh, is this when you see someone presenting a few uh, idea for the future and try to criticize it and come up with your own? This is something where the future is not for the tech companies but for all of us, including the little insects and bees maybe okay um, how much time? Two minutes. I have to skip another thing. I'm very sorry but this is about funding a little other advertisement blog. I started a project called Fixing Funding for Sustainability where I try to... uh, It's a video series about uh, showing what's broken with the funding system of sustainability and how to fix these things. And the first episode is already online and I encourage you to go to the blog and share this with your funders and try to get them to improve the funding system so that we can make more progress with sustainability and get more people to spend time in this. Okay, and the last... 90 seconds, what's next? I mean, now we collected all these great ideas and these little hacks, but what are they good if they're installed once at a time? And our idea is to create a city's open source big lab where we take all of them and install them in the same place in a city for several months, really have them interact, create this kind of exhibition in public space where you can walk through the circular city, and um, we want to do this in the next three years, uh, starting this summer with a small uh, pilot. And the idea is, where to put this? We want to put this in an area where a lot of tourists go. Why? Because then all these tourists come to Berlin in the summer, they see the things, and then they go home to their cities and take the seed, their unlocked mind, with them to their cities. And we want to use our global network to get a lot of people across the globe uh, set up similar events at the same time so we can really spread this like a virus across the globe. And of course, all the hacks will be documented very well so people can, across the globe, (laughs) I'm talking really fast, Um, um, really across the globe can then really uh, copy these hacks, improve them, uh, post new ones, so we really can, based on openness, uh, create a global movement that hacks our city, and we're still looking for a lot of partners, we also really need funding for this, as I said, funding sustainability is crazily hard, if not impossible, Uh, and it would be great if you would just watch it and uh, follow it and... Uh, Become part of the whole thing. And here's the website again, and I'm happy if you reach out to me with any questions. Thanks.